chapter 32. The king shall reign in righteousness, and the rulers rule with justice. And a man shall become as a shelter from the wind, or refuge from the storm, like brooks of water in a desert place, or the shade of a large rock in arid country. This king reigning with righteousness is very similar to what's spoken of in chapter 11, where righteousness will be as a band about his waist, he will judge the poor with righteousness, and could be speaking about the Lord himself, reigning righteously, because he's the one spoken of as the king, and the Lord is the king in the book of Isaiah. Or he can also be using the servant who personifies righteousness as his deputy, and ruling, in one sense, through the servant. And the rulers ruling with justice would be other servants, ruling in the book of Isaiah. There's the one servant and the many servants, or the other servants in the book of Isaiah. We see them later on. As the book of Isaiah progresses, out of Zion come certain righteous servants, and they rule. And that's very similar to the form of government we saw earlier in chapter 1, Verse 26, 25 and 26, where it says, I will restore my hand over you, I will restore your judges as at the first. They judge, they rule with justice. So it's a kind of government of Moses and the elders of Israel, the greater judge and the lesser judges. And a man shall become as a shelter from the wind or refuge from the storm, like books of water in a desert place or the shade of a large rock in arid country. There's a lot of terms here that are word links like shelter, refuge, shade or shadow. The people seek protection in fear or shadow or shade, whereas actually the Lord provides that protection. But so do individual servants of God. A man implies individuals, not generally across the board, but some. And it's connected with the king and the rulers in the preceding verse. So those people who rule, or those kings, they have a particular function of protection. The storm is the day of judgment. The wandering in the wilderness goes through the desert, like books of water in a desert place, or shade of a rock in arid country, a large rock. As the Lord is a rock, so these people become a rock. As he's a refuge, so they become a refuge. This kind of alludes to the idea of people emulating the God of Israel, who is our Savior, or is the Savior or Redeemer of his people. So individuals becoming like him, men become protectors, and that's their function. defines the function of men, not of women. Their functions are also defined in the book of Isaiah through the woman imagery associated with the woman Zion. All the things that she does exemplify the female role. But this is the particular role of men, to be a shelter, a refuge, a protection, especially during rough times, difficult times. And the men who rule, the ones who end up as rulers, are the ones who become rulers in that day, that millennial age, are those kind of men, the ones who proved to be savior types and protectors during that time of judgment. They fulfill that function then, and they continue to fill it during the millennial time of peace. The eyes of those who see shall not be shut. The ears of those who hear shall listen. Now, referring back to the blind and the deaf, again. But people will have their eyes open, their ears unstopped that time, and they will be attentive. 
that would be ready for more, to see and hear more things. The minds of the rational and understanding, the tongues of stammerers, master eloquence. It's like it said earlier, those erring in spirit gain understanding, and they who murmured accept instruction. People are on an upward path of spiritual progress here, in that time of righteousness and justice. Justice and righteousness, as we mentioned earlier, are the foundation of all blessings. Also, it implies that people will obtain healing. We saw earlier that the Lord heals. He binds up the fracture of his people and heals their open wound. Many forms of healing will then be evident. A little later on, it talks about, uh, chapter 35, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like deer, and the tongues of the dumb shout for joy. Chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. There will be healing, physical healing, of impediments and disabilities and so forth, and of sicknesses among individuals, as well as healing of the people in general. And it's that great reversal of circumstances that Isaiah keeps talking about. Here, stammer is master eloquence. You know, that's a big turnaround. The minds of the rash, who are people who are just going right through life willy-nilly, will learn understanding and become wise. Those who see and those who hear will listen and see. Remember the discourse of Jesus with the Pharisees, who claimed that they saw, and then when they rejected him, they were really blinded. And in that same discourse in the book of John, the blind man was blind from birth, sees. He sees after being blind, and the Pharisees, after seeing, become blind. Those who see will then really see. Those who hear will then really hear. Verse 5, The godless shall no longer be regarded as noble, nor rogues considered respectable, as in our present society. It's all turned around. Because of wealth, power, or position, popularity, scoundrels are highly regarded now, but not so then. For the godless utter blasphemy, their heart ponders impiety. Verse 6. How to practice hypocrisy and preach perverse things concerning the Lord, leaving the hungry soul empty, depriving the thirsty soul of drink. Here you see the word of God as food and drink, spiritual food and drink. Like we saw earlier, the table is filled with vomit. It doesn't just refer to literal vomit and excrement, but also to the word of God, half digested by people. That imagery is uh, not just literal, in other words, but also symbolic. It defines the godless as people who utter blasphemy or impious. They ponder impiety, they practice hypocrisy, they go through a form of godliness, but deny the reality or the essence thereof. And those who listen to them or those who come to them for knowledge really come away empty. There's really nothing there when you listen to them and you sit down at a lecture and after it's all over... What have you really gained? Not much. You're still hungry and thirsty. These are the imitators, I guess, the counterfeits of true preachers. Verse 7, A rogue scheme by malevolent means and insidious devices to ruin the poor and with false slogans and accusations to denounce the needy. So we have the religious or the spiritual aspect, now the political or plain economic aspect. These people are into fraud and trying to rip everybody off, and also, at the same time, imputing those very things in others. 
the poor and the needy are the people the Lord looks out for, and they're trying to ruin the poor and denounce the needy. So they're oppressing God's people, in other words. Verse 8, but the noble are of noble intent. As against those depraved or malefactors or malevolent people, as he gives a definition of what they do and are, so the noble are defined here as of noble intent and stand up for what is virtuous. Remember chapter 1 where you stand up for the uh, widow? It says, stand up for the oppressed, plead the cause of the fatherless, appeal on behalf of the widow, demand justice, chapter 1, verse 17. They stand up, that is, they're valiant in pleading the cause of others, not just themselves. They don't look out just for themselves. The noble are of noble intent and stand up for what is virtuous. They're not afraid to stick their necks out or let themselves be heard as a voice for the truth. They don't respond to peer pressure. Up and listen to my voice, O complacent women, you careless daughters, hear my words. As he judges the men, so he judges the women, people of Zion, the people of God. The voice is the voice of the Lord, whether given through the prophet, or in this case, personified in the Lord's servant. The women are at ease in Zion, and think everything's going to be just fine, keep going the way they are. Perhaps kind of like Lot's wife in Sodom, thinking that things would just go on as usual, when it was a time of judgment, and they had to get out or else be destroyed with Sodom. Up and listen to my voice, O complacent women, you careless daughters, hear my words. In little more than a year you shall be in anguish, O carefree ones, for when the harvest is over, the produce shall fail to arrive. The produce has been arriving year after year into the cities, and everything has been just fine. It's all going to change. A warning is given that in about a year, all that will be different. The produce failing to arrive means the covenant curse. People will be deprived, so what they haven't laid up in store, they won't have. Be alarmed, you complacent women. Be perturbed, O careless daughters. Strip yourselves bare. Put on sackcloth around your waist. In other words, go into a state of mourning and repentance. When you repent, you put on sackcloth. And whether they do so literally, as was done anciently, as an outward sign of inward repentance, or in other ways, pare down your plenty and show that you are in a repentant mode. Beat your breasts for the choice fields and flourishing vines, for my people's land shall be overgrown with briars and thorns, As Isaiah keeps saying, in this great reversal of circumstances, the fields that are now productive and fertile will become wilderness, or bush, or briars and thorns in this case. The land will revert to wilderness, as it says in chapter 7. Chapter 5 talks about briars and thorns overgrowing the vineyard. All of that will happen at that time of judgment. Stripping bare and putting sackcloth around your waist is what the harlot Babylon does also in chapter 47, So rather than do it then, and be forced to do it, do it now, and repent and participate in God's salvation at that time. Repent before the time. Briars and thorns is a covenant curse, or the land reverting to wilderness, or unused state is covenant curse. But briars and thorns also alludes to the wicked. Briars and thorns are synonymous with wickedness and the wicked people in the book of Isaiah, so... The land being overgrown with briars and thorns alludes to 
the wicked being pervasive in the land or overrunning the land. Whether they are the wicked of the Lord's own people or the wicked invaders, doesn't matter. Mourn for all the amusement houses in the city of entertainment. For the palaces shall lie abandoned, the clamorous towns deserted. High-rises and panoramic resorts shall become haunts forever after the playground of wild animals, a browsing place for flocks. We saw some of that in chapter 13, did we not? Chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, where buildings overflow with weasels, birds of prey find lodging there, demonic creatures prance about, jackals cry out from its palaces, howling creatures from its amusement halls. Chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, it has several levels of meaning. It can be literal that all these places, amusement houses, the city of entertainment or any city, the inner city where entertainment houses are, that all of those places will lie empty and desolate. It can also mean that the people themselves were like wild animals and jackals and so on that lived there or entertained there before. And because they were, this covenant curse came upon them. The society today is so much into entertainment and self-serving and self-seeking and seeking to satisfy some of the more basic instincts rather than serving God that um, it's easy to identify with this prophecy of Isaiah. Becoming the haunt of wild animals and playground of wild animals and so on is a covenant curse. When animals take over where people left off, then it's um, going back to a primitive condition. And that is a covenant curse. It implies wickedness on the part of the people, and the Lord's curse is taking effect. Verse 19, which comes after verse 14 here in order of uh, content, says, By hail shall forests be fell, cities utterly leveled. That time of judgment, the hail, again the storm imagery or the day of judgment imagery, the hail of fire and brimstone, in effect, fiery destruction from above. By that hail shall forests be felled. Shall actually fell forests, literally. But forests here are parallel with cities, cities utterly leveled. The felling of the forest or the leveling of the cities are in the synonymous parallelism, which lets you know that forests is a metaphor for cities. The same as mountains is a metaphor for nations, and trees are a metaphor for people. So we have mountains as nations, forests as cities, and trees as people, which would be felled in that day by the king of Assyria, who's described as the Lord's axe and saw in other destructive ways. Then shall a spirit from on high be poured out on us. So a twofold action by God, a hail from above felling the cities and forests, but a spirit from above falling upon the elect or the righteous people they will be given an added spirit, or a different spirit. The Spirit of God will be poured out upon them. It says, The desert shall become productive land, and lands now productive will be reckoned as brushwood, or backwoods. That great reversal of circumstances, when the wicked are put down and the righteous are ennobled and elevated. The desert becoming productive land implies a covenant curse reversal. That which was cursed, which was under a curse, which was desert, is now blessed to become productive, and the lands now productive be reckoned as brushwood. That's a covenant curse upon the wicked inhabitants of the lands that are now productive. 
So a covenant curse upon the one and a covenant blessing or reversal of covenant curse upon the other. So shall justice inhabit the deserts and righteousness abide in the farmland. Verse 16. Here we have justice and righteousness again, which keep popping up all over the place. Justice inhabiting the desert and righteousness abiding in the farmland means that the people who are just and righteous are given an inheritance of land in the desert areas that blossom. Desert areas that blossom become their new inheritances of land that will be fertile and they will be agricultural. Farmland implies a rural or agricultural economy not the economy of the works of men's hands, the materialistic economy in the pursuit of material pleasures. So the people who practice justice and righteousness will abide there, and righteousness, being a metaphor describing the servant, lives there too. And he has something to do with this whole scenario. In personifying righteousness, he exemplifies his people, or he is an exemplar of his people. So those who respond to the servant's message, or the Lord's message through the servant, emulate him and become like him and inherit a like blessedness. Verse 17, The effects of justice shall be peace and the results of righteousness and assured calm forever. Peace and calm. And of course in other places, as we have said, there is no peace for the wicked, Isaiah says. But for those who are just and true and righteous, there is peace. The effects of justice and righteousness are the results or the blessings that come with that. Righteousness, again, being a metaphor for the Lord's servant also, besides being an actual divine attribute, justice and righteousness are divine attributes that people emulate. The result of righteousness, therefore, would be the effect of the servant's mission among the people of God in that day, reclaiming them from their oppressed and their dispersed condition and teaching them God's justice and covenant so that they can inherit these blessings. Verse 18, My people shall dwell in peaceful settlements, in safe neighborhoods and comfortable dwellings. Peaceful settlement, the settlement as a whole, a neighborhood within the settlement and dwellings within the neighborhood, all is peace. Comfortable, safe production. A totally blessed situation. Not like now, where you have to wonder when you walk down the street at night, what's going to happen. In that millennial time of peace, there will be complete protection and safety and comfort. Verse 20, Blessed are you who shall then sow by all waters, letting oxen and asses range free. The oxen and asses will come home, getting to put up fences. It will be a whole different dimension in our society then. Blessed implying a blessed situation because of the keeping by the people of the Lord's covenant. Verse 